Welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm and trauma. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm and trauma. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. I want to welcome everybody to start by listening. Um, This is our inaugural podcast for season three, and we're doing some things different this year. We're on YouTube, so you get to see us and our amazing guests that we're bringing on. And today we have with us Reverend Rondalyn Randolph, and I am super excited that she said yes to our podcast, Thank you. And she is going to be talking with us today about trauma in our local community, especially within our faith-based um, communities. And so, uh, Reverend Rhonda Lynn, thank you so much. Oh, if you would just start off with just telling our listeners just a little bit about you and uh, the amazing work you do in our community. Well, first, I would like to say you're welcome and thank you for thinking of me to participate in this podcast because it's a very important topic that I think is swept under the rug, especially within the faith-based community. Um, I am, for those that don't know, I am a pastor of Pleasant Point uh, Baptist Church. Uh, I'm the only woman to pastor a Baptist church in all of Western Kentucky. Uh, I'm the first in our city and the first in this part of the state uh, for um, pastoring a Baptist church. Um, I'm also president of the local NAACP branch 3107. I've served in that capacity since 2000. 2016, um, we just led a successful Confederate statue removal campaign. Yay! Yay. We're so excited. Yes. I'm excited too because it shows that our community is a welcoming community. We're willing uh, to work on things when it's brought uh, to the forefront. It's not to say that it doesn't come with challenges, but uh, if you really put the work in, it can be done. So those are just some of the things that, that I do along with working at Oasis. Uh, shelter for domestic violence survivors in the capacity of housing case manager. Uh, I just started in this position and it is an eye-opening experience. Wow. You are super busy. When do you find time to rest? Um, I don't know. (laughs) When I leave town, that's when I find time to rest. And it's not to mention I have 15 grandchildren. My uh, son just had his son uh, last this past Thursday. So he made number 15. Uh, oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, that's his first son. And uh, we have officially moved from a basketball team to a football team. Uh, we have enough to make a whole team just within our own family. Holy shnuggies. That is, that is beautiful. Wow. What a testament. 15 grandchildren. Wow. I have two dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> That's so easy. <laughs> yeah. And then I have four biological children and uh, two that I grafted into my family because I used to have foster kids. Um, I used to uh, keep uh, teenagers was my uh, focus and more mm -hmm. specifically teenage moms or mm -hmm. teenagers that are about to be moms. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times teenagers, especially black girls, are hard to place. Yes. Uh, so I, I did that. But, you know, I think I just got so busy with my own family. I had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh. You know, as you are sitting there talking about all the amazing work you do, it just, I really can see and I can sense and feel you definitely have a servant's heart, most definitely. Yes, yes, most definitely, because ministry is about serving. It's about serving God and God's people. And uh, that's what it's all about. It's not about us, you know, at the end of the day, uh, although we try to, uh Ego tries to rear its ugly head within us. But once you put things in perspective and realign yourself, you know that it is about helping others. It's about loving others. It's about helping community because I am you and you are me. And when I'm serving you, I'm really serving me and God, you know. So I just, uh, I love it. I love it. Well, that is evident. Um, <laughs> very evident, you know, and one of the, the things that we're doing on this season and reaching out, you know, to the different, um, community groups, you know, faith-based, we're going to do healthcare, mental health, addictions, homelessness, like we're just tapping into all areas. We're very curious, Shelby and I are. And when we got together, we were like, mm, what are we going to do this season? And one of the first questions we would like to ask you and talk about within your faith-based community, and that can either be, you know, specifically your church or your, your faith within the Baptist, you know, faith, what are the predominant types of traumas that you have witnessed within your faith community? Well, I can only speak from not just my church, but like the perspective of being a black woman within the Baptist denomination in where I live. Um, and I've lived just about, you know, in the western part of Kentucky and the eastern part, meaning like the Louisville Lexington area. So it, it would be like my perspective as a black woman in the state of Kentucky. And what I find is that, um, especially with black women and boys, it's a lot of trauma when it comes to uh, the family dynamic um, with uh, the fathers not being present, which leaves a lot of our children unprotected uh, because it forces parents and mostly moms to have to make really hard decisions. And uh, oftentimes it leaves our children unprotected because you don't have that balance of that other that you can uh, lean on. And that's not to say that, you know, all black men are not there for their families. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just looking at statistical information that shows that uh, black 
families are predominantly headed by Black women and uh, trauma in regard to uh, being unprotected and the issues surrounding poverty are so prevalent within our community. And poverty comes with this whole nother dynamic, you know, and it just compounds the issue. Because if you go even further and you look at um, the amount of money that women make in comparison to men, and then you break that down to women of color, then more specifically black women, when it comes to amount of money that they bring, especially in a community like Orangeboro, um, it's, it, it really hurts our community. Um, and the, a lot of times people don't even realize how closely connected we all are, you know. But I think uh, in regard to your question, uh, trauma uh, from the issues surrounding poverty, uh, from the issues surrounding single parents and uh, the family dynamic have is what I have encountered as being one of the greatest uh, barriers or issues that we face in regard to trauma. You know, as I was sitting here and listening and, you know, I'm shaking my head in agreement and I'm nodding. And I think that um, what you have described is is so eloquently is, is very, it's, it's like a pervasive, it's that systemic oppression, mm-hmm. it's that systemic racism um, mm-hmm. that just has pervaded for centuries and mm-hmm. has truly you know, affected um, families. And, you know, when we first met each other, you know, I asked the question and I said, um, you know, how does it land that, you know, Shelby and I are two white bodies, you know, and seeking out and wanting your wisdom and your experience on our podcast and recognizing, you know, that we, we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have thought for many, many years that poverty seems to be one of the the main pieces of foundation of trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, How does, I don't know, what are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about how that systemic oppression and racism figures into poverty and into your faith-based community? Well, Can I, I mean, add to that and uh-huh. just ask how you've seen it change throughout your lifetime? Because mm-hmm. you have years of experience within your ministry. So poverty mm-hmm. and the progression of how things have changed. Well, in light of how it relates or correlates to ministry, it is in my faith-based ministry, Christianity from, you know, it's what I represent. Um a lot of younger people, like my kids and grandkids' age, they are not as close um, to the church, is what we call it, as what my generation is, or even my children when I was rearing them. Because what they have seen is contradictory to what the gospel says that they deliver. And if what they are saying, uh, what, what is being said to them is supposed 
supposed to be um, uh, uplifting for them and it's supposed to grow them, but it's contradictory to the life that they live. And then uh, to compile that with racism um, in regard to there are people nowadays are talking about Christian nationalism. And when you look at a lot of this uh, rhetoric, it's rooted in white supremacy. So if they're professing their faith as Christianity, then we have, you know, other people of other, you know, ethnicities and cultures that are part of our Christian family. You know, a lot of younger Black people are, you know, they're not as connected to the church as it used to be. But see, the church in the Black community has been so special because it acted as a surrogate parent, a kind of uh, fill-in for what we could not have on our own because we are truly a communal people. Because right after uh, slavery and we go into reconstruction, you know that we had to build a whole community that was totally separate from what the established community had. And we had to start from nothing. So places like uh, where I pastor out in Utica at Pleasant Ridge, they the the Freedmen's Bureau had given out land to some of those families out there after uh, slavery. So when you look at how the community was organized, there was the church, and then there was the school, the law, the school that's out in Yellow Creek. That school was on our property. And that was part of our community. So you have the church, you have the school, and then you have the farms and the houses that surrounded the two foundational things within our community. So if you take the church or, you know, education, either one of those, those two pillars is what propelled us to being grafted in into mainstream society. And that is what helped us to build and maintain our sense of community. So when you see, you know, the church in essence being dismantled because, you know, people are buying into a false sense of religion, or, you know, or what, what they're supposedly seeing, it starts to break down the dynamics of the family. Because a lot of times, you know, uh, families stay together for sake of the family, if that made sense. Yes, yes. And, and now, you know, um, a lot of things are just fragmented. And, and I've seen from the time when I was a little girl in the 70s, growing up in the 80s and 90s, starting my, my family. And it's like, it is so different. Because if you go into the church now, you see all older people. Yes. And then you see all little kids. And sometimes you don't see little kids. But it's mostly older people. And it's not just a Black problem. It's a country problem. It's it's all across the country. And the pandemic just exacerbated it, this. But, you know, how that relates to trauma is that now there isn't the safety net that we've always had that sense of community that we had to hold one another accountable or to step in and fill the shoes of a parent that may work two jobs. You know, you may have had somebody next door or across the street or someone you went to church with or the teacher or whatever that was right there to ensure that none of our kids got left behind. 
or none of our kids were hungry in the community or none of our kids went without, you know, school clothes or whatever. It's um, it, it's made a difference in, in even how we communicate with each other, which goes ties into the uh, crime problem that we're seeing in places like, you know, Owens World. That is, uh, well, first off, that's a, a beautiful, like, historical, just looking at that. Um, mm-hmm. And Shelby, that was a great question, like, looking at how things have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming from a much younger perspective, um, mm-hmm. and also not from the Owensboro area, I, and mm-hmm. since you seem to have been a pillar of this community for so long, thank you for what, sharing this change. Yeah. Story. Well, Shelby, I'm originally not from Owensboro either. Um, okay. My mother, she retired from Bell South. It used to be called Bell South, now AT&T. And she, to keep her job, had to transfer to different cities. So uh, I'm from Madisonville, but then we lived in Paducah, then we lived in Owensboro, then we lived in Louisville. So I've kind of like crisscrossed. But when I came back home, uh, when I lived in North Carolina, um, I tried Louisville for a little bit, but raising kids in the city for me was not good. So I moved, I made a choice to move here because of the amenities that the community has to offer. And I do like that it's a family oriented community. I do like the fact that they have all these different activities for kids and families to do. And, you know, I chose to move back here. So I've been here for for about 30 years now, but I'm not a new transplant, but I am a transplant. Have you been with your congregation for that entire 30 years? Could you tell the audience a little bit about how you came into your position and what that took? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's a fascinating it's, story. Yeah, it took a whole lot. Um, I was serving as associate minister at my my dad's church, uh, Zion Baptist Church, and for and I was the first woman in that church to be accepted into the fold uh, as mm-hmm. part of the ministry team. And for those that are not familiar, um, a woman, you know, being in ministry or leadership in that capacity within our denomination is is not a, a common thing. It's it's uh, especially then in 1997, it was a rare thing. We were really regulated uh, to uh, children's ministry, teaching Sunday school, helping in the children's choir. Uh, but as far as the the word and delivering the word over the whole body, uh, that that was just not done. But um, in my faith walk with with God, um, this is the path that He led me on. And um, when I went to my church, my church just accepted me with open arms. So I served in that um, role at my dad's church uh, for about five, six years. And then I moved back to Louisville, as I had said before. (laughs) And I went to St. Stephen uh, Baptist Church, which is the largest black church in in the state. And I was an associate minister uh, there for about two years. And then I came back here and went back to my dad's church. And then in 2007, 
2007 is when I got called into ministry at my church that I pastor now. And I started off filling in for the pastor, the previous pastor, because he had gotten sick with uh, diabetes. And then when he had both his legs amputated, he could no longer serve in that capacity. So the church became vacant and they uh, advertised for ministers to apply. And um, there were eight applicants and I was one of the eight. I was the only woman that applied and we just went through the application process and the church eventually uh, voted to have me lead their congregation. But yes, it was a struggle. They tried to put my dad's church out of our association, uh, the General Association of Baptist Churches. Um, uh, at the time, it was the Green River District that was over our area. And um, although the ministers or pastors, you know, hold an opinion, the laity at the end of the day, they they vote to have certain things to go through. And when it was presented or the uh, uh, it was presented that my ch dad's church be kicked out of the association because they accepted a woman as a, a minister, uh, the church, the people said, no, that, that's not right. We're not going to do that. And they kept uh, my dad's church within the association. But as a result of that, it split the association, uh, the Green River. And now the Green River is dissolved. So uh, we have varying opinions um, within the Baptist denomination about the role of women. You have some people that were willing to accept me as being a minister, but then you have other people that could not accept me serving in the, the capacity of pastor. So there's even some that will be like, okay, well, you can minister, but you can only minister in these parameters, you know. But at the end of the day, God, as long as I was faithful, as long as I was obedient and continued to work what I was called to do, he continued to open doors for me to be able to be the vessel that he wanted to use to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. So that, that's that's how it all kind of went down. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a story. Like, that's a book. Yeah. That's a book worthy, <laughs> like autobiography story. Have you ever thought about that? Um, well, <laughs> yes, actually I have. But like you said, I, I've just been so busy. I haven't really sat down. You know, I got bits and pieces, but that I've written, you know, just written. But I, I'm going to do that. Just this year is when I figured out that I need to say lie, mm. which is to pause because mm -hmm. before that I was going full steam every day and me getting COVID uh, kind of helped me to realize that because it took me a little while to get over, you know, it took my hair out. Um, I ended up getting shingles because it, it compromised my immune system. It took me a while to get over the shingles. It, it's like it never would leave. It made me very tired and lethargic. And that's not me at all. <laughs> that's not me at all. And um, I had a, a lady um, by the name of, she's also a, a pastor, um, 
in a, of a Baptist church in New York. She's Ambassador Sunjay Johnson Cook. She was the religious affairs ambassador to the UN under President Obama. And she has been kind of like my mentor here lately, so to speak. And she uh, got a grant from the Lilly Foundation to uh, support uh, Black women in ministry, Black women who pastor. And uh, she has a conference that she uh, has every year uh, in West Palm Beach. And when I went there, I was you have to be invited to go and be invited to be a part of the Real Black Women in Ministry uh, network. And I was invited to participate, which has taught me, you know, how to recalibrate myself and that I'm not a robot. Uh, <laughs> you do have feelings and you do need to rest and just take a breath and have fun and not be so mm, all the time. But uh, these are things that I'm still learning. You know, we learn every day. We do. I, I like to uh, tell my clients when we begin working on um, self-care and we begin working on um, regulation of the nervous system to help bring about calm and peace and relaxation. I like to tell them that they are completely being and doing an act of rebellion by resting because our mm -hmm. society is like, go, go, go. Mm -hmm. When our nervous system and our spirit and our soul needs that tending of that rest. Um, mm -hmm. And so they'll look at me and they're like, I'm, I'm being rebellious. I'm like, yes, you are. And mm -hmm. I am here for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, in my case, because at the Selah retreats, it's a beautiful thing. She has uh, black therapists, black psychiatrists, black doctors, you know, all our black women that are ministering and helping other black women. And like we had discussed before, I think it's important that people see themselves in who is given their treatment. Not to say mm -hmm. that other people groups can't you know, minister or help other people groups. It's not what I'm saying. It's just, it, it brings on a, a different dynamic because for some people, especially Black people, because of our history, uh, I read uh, Dr. Dr. Joy, and she coined the term post-traumatic slave disorder. Mm -hmm. And she also did her doctoral thesis on the impacts of slavery upon uh, America, American society and black and white people because it's traumatized us all. So what she has discovered is that uh, it's the trauma of slavery is literally written on our DNA. And some of the uh, very primal responses that people give for Blacks, may, those that are descendants of slaves, it might be a little different than what someone else's would be if they had not gone through that same experience or came from that same family lineage. And it's not to give excuses or anything for, you know, behavior, but it's it's genetics and bi bi biology, you know. So when getting back to me going to the Ceylon and taking a break, I found that the reason why I was going, going, going was because I did not want to face trauma that I had experienced when I was a kid. 
And if I spent my time being so busy and so engrossed into other things, then I, I didn't have to deal with it. And your mind is a beautiful piece of work where it can do things to protect you that you don't even know. And it's like it it allowed, I was doing these things, you know, the way that I was, partly because my mind was protecting me from things that I wasn't ready to handle. Yes. You know? But when I went and took that pause, and like you said, when your nervous system, you know, and and it seemed, and it all started in COVID because I had to sit down. Because I had to sit down because I had to rest. And then when I got to the retreat to say lie, it just like took it to a whole nother level. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm ready. And it's so funny how God will orchestrate things right at the time that you need it. Right, right when you're ready, you know, I equate it to the parting of the Red Sea. They said the Red Sea is a parting is a natural phenomenon because it automatically through nature decreases and lowers enough where people can walk through it. But the miracle of the story is that it was there for them to walk through at the time that they needed. Yes. That's the miracle. And I think the miracle in, in, in my story was that God was right there and he knew the time that I needed it. And he knew the time when I be, would be ready to face it. And I can say, you know, it, it has really just in the short, like six or seven months I've been on this journey. It's really been, it's nothing short of life changing. It's been life changing. Well, thank you for sharing a part of, you know, your story just in this moment. And I got goosebumps, as you said, the miracle is not necessarily in the parting of the Red Sea, but it was when it parted, right, Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the people to be able to cross safety. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. safe enough Mm -hmm. to make that journey. And when you think about, you know, when COVID um, ravages our body and our immune system. We literally, some of us cannot move, right? It's like mm-hmm. the body is just like, it's, it has to be protected to fight off COVID. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like what I'm equating that to as I was listening, it parted the sea for you in that moment for you to yeah. step out in your faith and say, mm-hmm. okay, this is something that I need to to work through this is something I need to address which mm-hmm. in the world of, that we work in um mm-hmm. that exponentially benefits your work mm-hmm. exponentially benefits any and every person you come into contact with because you I look at at your brain it's like there are certain levels to it and if you have like clogged in your filters that relay the messages to give you perceptions or your thought processes, if those filtering processes within your mind is clogged with with things, 
it hinders your ability to be able to experience life totally because you're not walking or thinking or reacting in your natural self because it's almost like you're in survival mode all the time without even realizing it. Yes, yes. But when you start to unclog those filters, you can be like, oh, so really it's not like that, but I thought it was like that before, but now that I see like the mistake and my perception of how I was seeing it and how I processed it through what, through my mind, you know, it's really not the way that I perceived it to be before I started to unclog those different things in my head, you know, which means that I'll be able to relate to people better. I'll be happier. I'll be able to, God will be able to, to use me better, you know, because he, he, we're, we're the vessels. So he takes us and he takes all of us. You know, yeah. the good, the bad, and the in-between, you know? So he, but he knows even with all of our baggage that he can still do what he wants to do in this round, you know? But and but whenever he's ready to take you to another level or a, a bigger dynamic, because when God blesses, you got to be ready to receive the blessing. You got to be ready to to handle it, you know, because nobody can take what God has given you away, but you can sure lose it. You can slip through your fingers because you're not strong enough to handle it. And for some people, it's those mental barriers, even before they get started, that it's just, you know, it, it will hinder the process. It will hinder your growth even before you get started. Oh yeah, most definitely it does. I'm curious, since you shared, you know, you are on your journey, you're doing your work. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to use your words, unclogging the filters, right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That's a beautiful metaphor. Um, (laughs) How has that come through within your faith community? Um, because in my mind, like the way my mind operates and works, I, I, I'm curious and I wonder, did other people within your community go, wow, if Reverend Rhonda Lynn can do work and do hard stuff and make this journey, maybe I can too. Well, I come from uh, the perspective I try to to live out what I believe every day. You, you, it's it's application of what you believe. So in Acts chapter one, it said, first in Judea, then into Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world. Meaning, this is how the gospel will be spread. So when I equate that and break that down, that's first within me, then within my family and community, and then to the outer parts and other peoples that I may not run into every day. So the first effect is in me. I see the change in me. My eyes are wide open. I can, you know, understand things better. I can grasp better. Uh, I can time myself better. I, it's not this sense of urgency and rush. Um, it's it's a, a comfort and a peace. 
that I did not have before. I thought that I had it, but I didn't have it to this magnitude. Then I see it to, in, in my children because those are the people that I'm in contact with every day, every day. And I see it in my grandchildren. They see me clearly and they are like, mm, something's different about me because that's what they call me as me. Oh, but it makes them happier, yeah. I can tell. They're not as apprehensive and kids are so pure in that way. They're just navigating through the best that they can. And they haven't had these life experiences that kind of damages, you know, your uh, your hope in other people, you know, and kind of makes you cynical to, to a degree for some. I'm not saying for all, but a lot of people are like that. But with kids, if you find a kid that's like that, they've been hurt really, really bad. But I see it, you know, in my grandkids, it's like, wow, Mimi, you know, and it's this happiness. And I think the people that I come in contact with, like my extended family, friends, church family, I think that they see it too, but they have not quite put their finger on it. It's one of those things. Like something is different, but I don't know, hmm, you know, but I like it. <laughs> Is one of those things. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a beautiful what you said. Hmm, something's something's different. Don't know quite what it yeah. is, but I like mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yes, it's that light within that just mm-hmm. I think becomes brighter and more mm-hmm. beautiful. And through trauma, that light gets very dim. Mm-hmm. And when we start to move through that it's just like yeah yeah it's like you know you dim your light because you don't want people to notice you I mean at at least that's how I was you know with my how I dealt with the trauma that I went through I would in certain spaces make myself smaller so that other people um would not see me you know yeah and that's hard to believe that somebody like me I talk to people all the time I you know I'm constantly you know doing interviews or whatever you know preaching and to think that I would in certain circles be that way well you don't know where my trauma came from And sometimes you even going into like familiar environments of how things happen, it could trigger those emotions, those feelings or the responses when you're in those spaces that will make you go back to how you felt when the trauma happened. And sometimes, you know, I found it's even certain people, not just situations and they may not even have been connected with it, but just yes. being around them triggers something about what you went through. And it's like, I just can't deal with you right now. <laughs> yes. I mean, I just yes. can't. I mean, I'm just not going to call. I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm not going to go over there. I'm not, I mean, because there's something about that person that mm-hmm. and eventually, you know, that will even begin to reveal itself of why that trigger, you're getting that response whenever you're around these individuals or whatever. And it could be tied to what you went through. 
usually it is. <laughs> yes. Um, it's those, the five senses can all be triggers. And, you know, sometimes we'll talk about, we get stuck in the why, 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 why is this a trigger? And so we miss a lot of opportunity to really sit with it and just bring it back to the nervous system, bring it back to our bodies because our body experienced the trauma. Um, mm -hmm. There's a saying that the issues are in our tissues, you know, mm -hmm. um, the trauma mm -hmm. gets locked in our hips, especially that low back mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. um, but when we focus on that intellectualization of why, 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 then we lose the opportunity to mm -hmm. feel it and move it out. You know, mm -hmm. through the healing. But that's the only way that you can move it out in order for you to move on. You have to like sit in it, digest it, face it, and then release. <laughs> at, at least that's how it's worked for me. And for certain portions, it has been in steps. And for some things, it's like, I'm not scared of you no more. Uh, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're ready, but uh, that's why I got to take it in, you know, chunks or parts. You know, um, I, I, I never quite understood how I had the uncanny capability of compartmentalizing things and turning myself off and being able to operate, you know, with half of me you know, instead of fully, that's because of the trauma, you know? Yes. But when you start to walk like totally in yourself, it's like a newfound freedom, you know? You, you'll begin to like love yourself more. And that goes back to, you know, Christianity, you know, the, the basic, uh, the, the greatest commandment that Jesus said, you know, first love the Lord your God with all your heart, your might, with everything, and then love your neighbor as yourself. We got a lot of people that don't love themselves. They love God. They don't love themselves. They don't have the capacity to do it because they have not put in that work. And it takes work to be able to do that. You know, and getting back to like the things that um, are turning our young people off from the church and the church being able to act as that surrogate. You know, I think, you know, young people have been traumatized by the church from some of the things that they have experienced. So, like I said, I stay away from certain people. They stay away from the church, you know, and it, it's it's the same thing, but it's just a, a different dynamic, you know, and, and I hate it because if we don't work together to resolve the things that have traumatized you while you've been in the church, then how can we make this better? You know, how can we move forward? What is going to be the vitality of the church body collective? It may survive as an institution, but it may lose itself and die as an organism because the church body is a living, breathing body because it is collectively all of believers, all of us that believe. Mm 
and the institution, meaning the ideas, the traditions, the, all that. I mean, that'll go on because that's memorized, that's rehearsed. But what I'm talking about is relationship. And we cannot have relationship on that level with the church body as an organism if there is no trust, if trauma has not been addressed, if people are not willing to face, you know, what has happened to them. And even those that did the traumatizing, if they're not willing to admit it. I mean, you cannot read the same Bible I read and and believe that Christian nationalism is, is in the word. You cannot read the same Bible I read and think that being prejudiced and discriminating against people is of God. You cannot read the same Bible that I'm reading and think that hating people is okay. One of the basic uh, things that Jesus said was love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love everybody. Yeah, love everybody. So what they don't like you say, I love you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's just I don't I don't know. It's almost like we're we're doing it to ourselves. We're killing ourselves. It's like a slow suicide. Mm. So moving forward, how do you think the religious community should? address these traumas? I mean, from your congregation specifically, from your own personal perspective to even a wider perspective, how do we address these traumas moving forward and moving into the next generations who are going to be taking over? What is your vision? How do you, it's a loaded, loaded question, but just your thoughts. Well, it, and these are just my thoughts and the vision that I know God has led me to walk out is one person at a time, one opportunity at a time to express and to live what you say you believe. And for you, for me, myself, I have to love everywhere that I go. I have to live out what I believe everywhere I go. No more compartmentalizing. Okay, I'm going to do this at church, and then I'm going to do this when I'm on my job, and then I'm going to do this when I'm with my friends, and I'm going to do this when I'm at home with my family. Then I'm going to do this when I'm on vacation, and I'm going to do this when I'm out in the community. You got yourself in all these different parts. When God said, just be, just be in him, just be in the moment, just be in him every day walking it, living it, expressing it, no matter where you go, be that billboard for him. And when opportunities arise to work with different people, uh, to even work with different people of different faiths, you know, grab hold of that opportunity so you may be able to show them authentically what living for Christ is about. So it's it's really not about, you know, you doing anything per se, but it's about allowing God to do what he needs to do through you. And the only thing you have to do is just be and live what you say that you believe, you know. But if everybody did that, you know, it, it would be. And I'm not saying that I got all the answers, mm-hmm. but, you know, if everybody at least tried to do it. We got a lot of people don't even try to to do it because it's too hard. (laughs) Yeah. 
It's too hard to just be yourself. Like I said, a lot of people don't even like themselves. They don't love themselves. No. So why would they want to show themselves to people and you don't even like yourself when you look in the mirror? You know, you have all these apprehensions if they're going to accept me, if they're going to. I mean, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's all about God. So what does he want to do through you? So then you'll leave all of your like thoughts and shortcomings and all that kind of stuff. You'll leave all that at the door. You'll leave that in the house before you leave the door because you should start your day with prayer. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Forgive me, Father, for not submitting my will to your will so that thy will will be done in this place, in this realm, as it is in heaven. You know, these are the things that we should strive to walk in all the time, but we have... So many people in leadership that should not be in leadership. I love the fact that we have a lot of churches here. But why do we have a lot of churches when we all believe the same God? Ooh, got it. (laughs) Whoa. Seriously. Why? So, you know, know, okay, what what is this about? I I mean, because I really did that. And God will speak if you listen. So many times we talk too much. But like (laughs) if we just sit, you know, and just observe and take stuff in and just listen to God, he will speak. He will show you in other people's actions and your actions and responses like he showed me. But he'll also show it in other people, too. Like I, I asked the Lord, Lord, why is the church for all these women? Where's our young men? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm driving to church because that was my thing. Remember, I'm focused. <laughs> so I'm praying and I'm talking to the Lord. And I'm doing this for maybe a month, two months straight, you know, especially on Sundays. Because you go in church, you see all these women, older, the older guys, you know, old men on the deacon's board. And then you see all the women with their kids, the preacher up in the pulpit, and I don't see no young men. You know, what, come on now, what's going on here? And then the Lord just said, open your eyes. So as I'm driving the church, I see young men cutting their grass in the yard. I see young men playing football in their yard with their kids. I see young men washing their cars. I see young men going to the grocery store. He said, they're doing everything else besides going to the church house. So what is that telling you? And then I had to sit and marinate on that. Mm. Well, for some people, church is not about the building. We got to get out of the building. Yes. You know? Because the church is not the building, it's the people. Remember, church is an organism. It's a living, breathing body. We collectively are the body. Then you have church as the institution. It's too much focus on church as the institution. We're going to remember what's been laid down, the foundation. That's not going nowhere. We have books. We have the internet. We have all these things to make sure that it's stored and remembered. I used to think of the Catholic denomination as the chroniclers of the history of, you know, the the word, because, you know, they are the first original church, <laughs> organized yeah. church. So they got stuff from the beginning of, of, the, of the church, of the beginning of time, you know, so it's like, man, I look at them as the chroniclers. I mean, everybody has, serves their purpose in what they do. 
you know? But now we're in a new era and we cannot have a 19th century mentality living in the 21st century. You just can't do it no more. Cannot do it. No. And as you were talking about the very, I'm going to call it a very spicy question you asked, and I love spicy. Like why we have so many churches if it's all, we all believe, right? Like that's a, yeah. ooh, I've never heard that. I'm like, oh, dang, like that's a, ooh, that's a good question. And then, yeah. uh, and then you said, you know, where are the young men? And then you, you asked and you saw, and you, and I, I just go back to connection. Mm-hmm. We need to feel safe and connected to mm-hmm. others and others can be individuals it can be the church you know it can be it's however you define but I wonder how how do we begin in our community to build that connection to build that safety to repair past mm-hmm. and I'm going to use this word past transgressions that happened mm-hmm. you know by the different churches by the different you know fit I'm just curious like what do you think? Like, how, how do we begin to build that bridge of safety? First, we have to stand in truth. And not all doctrine is founded upon truth. Some doctrine that is practiced is founded upon the, the need to maintain power and control over people. So when you separate truth from doctrine, you'll be able to begin to establish the repairing of those damaged connections. Because people know when they're being told the truth or either they'll eventually find out when it's not true. And then you'll see people leave and then you'll blame them, which leads to the next thing, stop being judgmental. Everyone has their own walk with God. We are not God. God is God. So us judging other people and then condemning is putting ourselves in the place of God. We are to judge, but we are to judge for our own standard of our proximity to God because we're only responsible for ourselves. We're not responsible for other people. We are to a degree, but at the end of the day, people are going to do what they do because that's what they want to do. So it's about their personal relationship with God. And the best way, uh, the best way is to live out what you say you believe. I keep saying that because it is. It's the best way to repair. It's the best way to, you know, heal some some things within the body collective. And, you know, it's the best way that we're going to start to build and what I call edify the body. Because if you live out what you say you believe, you're standing in truth and not on doctrine, then you're going to love God and you're going to love others as you love yourself. Is that simple. And then the specifics, all of that is handled in Bible study. All that's handled in Bible study. And it's really not about who's right and wrong. It's about what is God saying? What is God saying? 
Can we get to what is the root word right here? <laughs> you know, not what the English is, because sometimes the English translation, it was some words were put into place because they did not have any words to express what was originally said. Yes. We were limited <laughs> in our expression of what to say. Because remember, we're dealing with a culture that you could kind of say that was more advanced than ours in some to some degree because they began with oral tradition. How can you orally memorize the whole Bible to pass it down from generation to generation and not make no mistakes? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, that's not possible now because people don't have the no. mental control to be able to do that. We're too distracted. Mm-hmm. See, then they they could really be at one with, with God. And I mean, we can do that now, but it's just, it, it'll take a little bit more effort, you know? So we really have to peel back these layers, you know, asking why we got so many people in leadership that don't need to be there. Why are we not living out truth? And why are we loving people? When we start to, you know, really work on these things, Man, you you'll really see um, you'll really see the church start to grow and and to really uh, not just grow but thrive. Because mm-hmm. I don't even look at growth in numbers. Because my church is a little bit church. Yeah. But I love working on individuals. That's always been my practice. I've never been caught up. Two things I'm never caught up in: the amount of people I'm talking to and money. Not like shiny jewelry. I love shiny things. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I have like 10 pair of shiny shoes, gold, pewter, silver, stones. <laughs> <laughs> the shinier and the more glitter, the better. That's my Yes, yes I just love it. <laughs> so, you know, I just, uh, those are things that just don't move me. So, you know, to be enticed by things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like whatever, you know, but we we really need to, you know, examine ourselves. And um, like I was saying, my thing about growth is growth in individuals, because that one individual that that you help, that one individual that you minister to, they're going to talk to five or 10 other people. Yeah. Either they're going to talk to them or the people in their circle is going to say, well, what is different about you? Well, I've been going to that church. I've been talking to that individual. Well, I want to see what can that person do for me? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's contagious, you know, so you really don't, I don't like to like advertise or anything like that. <laughs> wait, wait. So you're saying you don't want people to come to your church after this podcast because they're going to say, ooh, she is smart she knows things and she is brave. you know what I do <laughs> well, you can come if you want to <laughs> I'm probably going to take you up on that offer because yeah because you have you have inspired me today and, and when we first met each other a few weeks ago just I love just listening to uh to your your talk and um I love your um, your spirit. It's just, mm, it's yummy. 
<laughs> Thank you. And I love what you're saying about the individual, the one-on-one, getting to people on a one-on-one level, because healing from trauma is such a personal growth journey for every individual. And you're right. You speak with one person, you plant those seeds, and they spread that love through their communities. And it's how we start healing as a whole, right? Starts with the individual. Yeah. And, you know, whenever people have been traumatized like that, I mean, because to hold on to something for years, you know, some people take it to the grave, you know, means that that's something that's really close and personal, that they're not going to expose it to to too many different people. So being personal with people is very important to the healing process that we're talking about. It's going to take that. It might take longer to get to more people, but I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it will be long lasting. It will be more beneficial. And in the long run, it would help more people because look at the families that will be helped, the generational curses that will be broken. You know, just think about those things generationally that will trickle down and will be no more. So you can change like a whole community just with one family. Mm. If you look at how our communities are made up, you know, it's individuals that make up families. Families make up churches. Churches, as we said, are in just about every community here. And if we change the individuals within these family dynamics, they're going to take that to the outside. The communities are going to be better. I really do think that that is a big part of the crime problem that we're having now. I really do think that. It is definitely all of the community traumas that we are experiencing. And I'm just going to say right here in our own little seven counties, you know, that we serve. It's a lot. And then the trauma of COVID, Mm -hmm. the the trauma of isolation, Mm -hmm. disconnection. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes it feels so overwhelming. Um, Mm -hmm. But when we stop and we take a breath and we bring it back down to me and another person just in this moment, right Mm -hmm. here, right now, not the past, Mm -hmm. not the future, right here, Mm -hmm. building that connection. Mm -hmm. Because you can be in in a big place with a lot of people and still be alone and still not be connected because you turned yourself off. And that's what trauma does because you don't want to feel the pain. You know, you you can deal with people on a day-to-day basis and still not be connected with them. You know, that's how a lot of people are able to commit suicide and nobody even know that they were struggling with anything because they have, it's, it's almost like they have learned to become another person around other people. But when they are alone, that's when the pain comes out because they're not trusting an, enough in others to trust them with that pain that they need to let go of, you know, because we're, we're not uh, meant to be on the island by ourselves. We are meant to be connected. But when you have a person that is 
disconnected like that, I mean, that that is very, um, it, it's hard to reach those people. So, you know, you really got to take it one step at a time, one day at a time, one person at a time. And then for some, even one issue at a time, because it could be a combination of a whole lot of stuff that's taking place, you know. And I remember, because uh, I used to smoke cigarettes, and the pers- uh, when I was talking to my doctor about it, uh, the doctor was like, well, just look at how many years you smoked, and look at, uh, you got to see how many years that you smoked, you cut it in half, it's going to take for your lungs to get back to its optimal, you know, functioning capacity. I was like, Lord, she said, it wasn't done overnight. Yep. It took years for you to get yourself in this position. So it's going to take you years to get yourself out of it. But it can be done. Mm, that's a beautiful way of looking at that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we are, again, thank you so much. And we are coming to the end of our time together. And the last few minutes, this is the fun part. Ooh, we're going to shift <laughs> our nervous system. Have a little fun. <laughs> we call these uh, rapid fire questions. And they're just, okay. we're going to ask a question. And just the first answer that just boop, pops into okay. your head. And I know your nervous system's like, oh, God, what they got? <laughs> it reminds me of when we were on Family Feud. You know, me and my family's on Family Feud. I, I did not know. know. It's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that. Really? In uh, 2017, I went on with my sister and her husband and her kids. Okay. That is awesome. Did you win? No. Oh, no. They said, what the question that I missed, I'll never forget it. Name something that drips. I'm like, an IV. That's perfect. That was the final thing. And guess what the question was? I mean, the answer to the question was, it was a candle. I said, who did you ask a hundred candlestick makers? <laughs> that is what, yes, I'm with you. I'm with you, Reverend Rondolet. That is yeah. crazy. That was so crazy, but that's what this kind of reminded me of. Come on, I can do it. All right. Shelby, do you want to ask the first question or would you like me to? I will go first. Miss Reverend Rondolin, if you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? Ooh, to read people's minds. Ooh, I like yeah, that. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, name one gadget that you cannot live without. Mm, I hate to say it, my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your favorite food? Ooh, I can't say I have a favorite food, but any kind of fruit. I love fruit. Fruit. Good, good. What is your most prized possession that you own? That I own? Remember, I'm really not caught up on things except for shiny shoes. So I would say my shiny shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Do you have any pets? No, pets are too much like kids. You got to take care of them. And I have enough yeah. to take care of. 
But I do want to get a uh, lap uh, dog when I get older, older. Just like I'm older now, company. older, older, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Going back into your brain and childhood, what was your favorite game that you played? Oh, we used, to, I used to love hopscotch. And double dutch jump rope. I used to love hopscotch and jump rope. Those are my favorites. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Hmm. It used to be pralines and cream, but my daughter bought the uh, cherry from Licks. It's some type of cherry ice cream okay. from Licks. Okay. Oh my God, it's so good. That sounds good. <laughs> it was. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Hmm. Any animal. I don't know. I guess a bird. You know, I'd be something like an eagle or a phoenix or a falcon or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I see a lot of times I just fly above it. (laughs) Yes, I love that. (laughs) And what is your favorite band or musician? Oh, I just, I love all kinds of music. I really do. I I really love all types of music, always have. Christian, R&B, rap. When I was in high school, I lived in Louisville, and I went to like all the concerts that came through town. I saw all the old school rappers. Okay. Oh no, we lost you. Oopsie. Saw old school rappers and then cut out. I know. Oh, um, no. Great. So we are back after some technical difficulties. And Reverend Rondolin, when we last left off, you were talking about seeing some old school rappers in Louisville. So your final question is, what is your <laughs> favorite concert? Uh, well, one of my best, fun, the one of the funnest concerts I went to, I saw Beastie Boys in concert. Okay. I saw um, Ice T in concert. I've seen uh, LaBert in concert. I've seen Janet Jackson in concert. Uh, oh. I mean, I could just go on and on. And then that's like my before Christ BC. Now mm-hmm. after Christ. <laughs> no, she did not. No, she did not. <laughs> I've seen uh Kirk Franklin. I've seen Tasha Cobb. No, I haven't seen Tasha Cobb. Uh what is that one lady's name? Leandra uh Johnson. I've seen um I mean, just different people. Uh, Ty Trivet, I've seen him when he first mm-hmm. started out. Um, I haven't seen Mary Mary. It, I mean, it's just been so many concerts and stuff. Yeah. I just love music. Oh, love it sounds music. like a lot of fun. You sound like a fun person to go to a concert with. Tearing it yes. up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so before we uh, wrap up, are there anything, is there anything that you want to plug, any type of final words for the audience, any type of personal promotion, or anything that you would like to leave us off with today? Well, as you know, I don't like to really promote myself, but what I would love to do 
is to uh, encourage each person to do something positive in their community, to get connected in some sort of way, uh, to get connected with a church, a community center, or you know, a, a mentoring program, volunteering your time. If you don't have the time, volunteer your resources, money, donating clothes. I mean, whatever it is, uh, give back to your community because we need each other. And we, the community is as good as those who are part of it. So uh, just make sure that you give back and, and try to do your part to make this community a good place. And of course, my church services at Pleasant Point Baptist Church. Um, the address is 3724 Highway 764. It's out in Utica, uh, straight out uh, Highway 231. And our services start at 11.30. And if you can't make it out to the church, um, just look me up on Facebook. I broadcast uh, live every Sunday, uh, beginning at about 12. Uh, so more than welcome to listen or to join us at church service. Well, thank you. Thank yes, you thank so you. much. Thank Wonderful. you. And um, again, it's just been a pleasure and a joy getting to talk with you today, uh, Reverend Rhonda Lynn. And uh, to all our listeners out there, thank you all so much for tuning in today. And as always, you can change the world tomorrow by listening today. Stay frosty, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, we've made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We hope you'll take something you heard today and use it to change the world tomorrow. We wanted to thank our music producer, Seth Hedges, from Uriah Wild Media. His website is in the show description. Also, a big shout out to Rodney Newton, our technical advisor. See you next time. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 26, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the U.S. Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. Thank you.